Hey, today I get a chance to sit down and uh, talk with my friend Curtis Honeycutt. Um, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about our background, how our paths cross, uh, some of our hope and vision for working together in the future, some lessons about um, some opportunity in Europe, some lessons, some opportunity there. We've been surfing together one time. Yeah, we went surfing. Well, no, you surfed. I almost <laughs> yeah, drowned. Yeah, that was I. So I keep telling people this story, and you're there, and you just listen. Mm -hmm. I want this story from your perspective. I'm very eager to hear I because know that, I know what it felt like for. Me. I know that you don't mess around, hmm. and uh, my friends don't either. Hmm. I surf um, with a few chief of police, some vetted guys who also graduated from the FBI Academy. Mm -hmm. So I know you like to be taken seriously. So I said, Hey, my friend Curtis is coming out here with his family from Maryland. And, uh, you know, we'll throw you in with the sharks, which mm -hmm. is basically exactly what we did. Mm -hmm. So the surf was, uh, six feet, uh, at trussels. For those of you who don't have a, beach background that's like uh one of the harder places in the world to take up surfing the surf was a pretty solid size he's never held a surfboard never been in the ocean and i took him to basically one of the hard, hardest places um and i told you to meet us at bobby's which you did mm -hmm. and i said Drive to Christianitos Park, walk down this trail. Yeah. And it's dark the, outside. I've never been. It's, it's dark. Yeah. Um, and you did it. Mm. You walked a mile down to the beach. You found us at the beach. Mm -hmm. No wetsuits. Water was not that warm. Surf's big. Mm. Uh, and you, you killed it. And I was like, and, and after you left, I told Bobby, I think he's going to do well in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> but you so, didn't even give so, me so, advice. So, you know, the whole thing was like, oh, all right. Cool. Duly noted. In but the, was in, there. In, in with the sharks, you go. There, there were no excuses. We laughed about the whole thing. And I thought, I think, I think he's probably going to do well in another country, not knowing another language, not having any. I thought I was like, I think they'll, I think they'll do good. <laughs> so that's why, that's why. But you didn't even give me, like, what were you thinking? We're standing on the beach and you're waiting for me. Your friends are out there. I show up. I just walked a mile in these flip-flops that I'd never walked a mile in. There was sand in them. So it rubbed a, like a hole in my skin. So that was the worst part of the whole day. It was my, yeah. my left foot. Well, I think but I just get there and you're like... You didn't even give me advice. I thought I was going to, my, my ex, I shouldn't have had expectations. I was going to arrive at the beach and you're going to be like, okay, so here's what you do. Here's how you do it. You just start talking about other stuff. And all I'm, all I hear is, wah, wah, wah. all I'm waiting for is my surfing advice. I get nothing. Your surfing advice was follow me. Yeah. And then, <laughs> but at the end of the follow me was, and I'm going to leave you. Just so you yeah, know, I, follow I, I me, but very, not for long. I was very upfront that yeah. I was going to talk with you for 10 minutes in the water. Yeah. And then I was going to go surfing yeah. by myself. Yeah. 
most people would not like that. <laughs> I'll just put that out there. Yeah. But uh, people who people who want a challenge, they they figure things out. Mm. So I don't. By the way, I don't. I thought you would like it because I, <laughs> I know you're crazy. We hung out enough to know that you're like uh, uh, I'm, you're a crazy person. We both put our hands up. Yeah. Um, so that's my side of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, now let me I tell. You let me. Like it. I've taught ninety-four people. I've taken mm. ninety-four people surfing the first time they went surfing. Wow. And I've never taken anyone to trussles. Yeah, I would imagine. I can see why. But I saw you had it in you. Thank I, you. I, I, think, I thought I think this guy has it in him. So there you are. Yep. You, my I wife. Right. I was right. I'm not always right. Dude, that was okay. So here's my. Here's what happened for me is I show up at a dark place in the morning and I don't know where I am or what's going on and I can't really see what's happening. I park, I'm still kind of in the middle of the street. You show up and just put a surfboard in the car and all I remember is you going like drive to the highway, go two exits down, you're going to find surfers, follow the surfers that are walking. There's a bunch of different places that these surfers go. Don't go to any of those. Just go to this one. I don't even remember how you told me. Shameless Sir Coffee Play with mm. his company. I told him this story, and he goes, "That's classic Ryan." Yeah, 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 hundred percent. So I get. Well, I'm learning that. Well, I get. I get to the where I'm walking, and then you like halfway through, you ride by me on your e-bike, and you're like, "You're you're going the right way," and you just <laughs> keep going. You're like, "You're doing great." Like my foot's bleeding. I'm like this is dumb. So I'm just. I finally get there. I get to the beach next to the porter potty you're there and all i see i'm expecting sand right like just sand that we walk out into and everything's rocks and i look out and the first thing that you tell me when i get there was that like you should have been here when they just held the professional surf competition like a week ago and i was like why are we at a place where there's a professional surf competition even able to happen there like why am i here this is like my armpit hurts from carrying surfboard just because I've never even done that. And we just start walking out. I just, you're just talking about random stuff and I'm walking out in the water. Yeah, for sure. But you turn your board over, right. And start kind of using it. So your ankle doesn't roll in the water. So I do that. I'm just watching you and I'm kind of taking my time. And then it starts to get deeper and waves start coming and waves start coming. And then I ask you, what do I do? This is the pressing question for me because this is what I don't know what to do. If I'm in three foot waves in Ocean City, Maryland, and I get smashed, I don't know what to do. Like I try to go under it real far, but now I got something that floats. So it's like, what do I do if a wave hits me? And you say, you duck dive. And I say, what's a duck dive? And you halfway explain it. And then you said, now would be a good time for that. <laughs> And all I remember is going upside down. And when I came back up, you were much further than I was out. I will say, I already knew something about, I already knew Mm. some of your background. Yeah. I know you run. Mm. I know you hunt. Yep. So in my defense. None of that involves, you never even asked, do you know how to swim? You did ask that. You asked, do you know how to swim? Yeah. Okay. I know you hunt. Yeah. And we know you, you run. Yeah. With none of that has anything to do with what just happened to me. But it totally did, because I knew you like a good challenge, and you're just up for a good story. Yeah. Well, then I remember there was a moment. There was... (laughs) 
there was a moment because you had gotten past the break and you're out there with your friends. You kept checking to make sure I was floating. But I had a choice to make. I was getting smashed. And at this point, I had cussed out loud twice, like yelled it. Like I was just getting smashed. And there was nothing I could do. And I'm like, I either have to go sit on that beach and watch Ryan surf I knew you were not and cry. I had, there were three options in my head. I got to do that. I have to stay here and get smashed for an hour while Ryan surfs. Or I have to get every ounce of, because in my head now, I'm like, I don't even know how I'm going to get back in once I'm out there. Like once I'm out there, I might have to stay. So I, I lived just every single ounce of what I had it took to get past the break. And I finally got past the break and I got out there. And you looked at me and goes, you said, I didn't think you were going to get past the break. I'm just impressed you made it out here. So anyway, yeah, and then I, I, I yep, and then I, yeah, the orientation, yeah, that was, and that was the saying for the rest of the day was who needs enemies when you have friends like Ryan, and Bobby said that, and then I just, I couldn't even sit up on the board because I was so unstable. I couldn't sit, like every, I just had to lay, my legs were open. And I just had to like lay there and just try. And then at the end, I tried to surf and it didn't work. Going in ended up being really easy. And I was glad to, uh, I was, was glad to get out of the water. That was, your, that was my side of the story. That was your introduction. To yeah, welcome to California. California. And I went home and I was like, hey, this is what we're going to drive this across the country to. People. Yeah. Are you excited? And she, yeah, she didn't like you immediately. Now she likes you, though. But before she didn't. It's always fun when you go straight on your buddy's wife's blacklist. Yeah, 100%. And you did it immediately. Yeah. But it was it was good. But it is interesting. Like, you, you correlated that to church planting or starting something new. Yeah. And it always comes down to that that moment before you get out of the break when you're doing something new. Because everything's unfamiliar. Like, I've never even been in water like that before. It was fun. It was also, it's also a little bit of a metaphor. For, for, you know, people want people want a challenge, you know. Um, so. Yeah, but it's that three-pronged sure decision. It's that three-pronged decision in that moment of, I either have to fully commit and give this every ounce of me. I have to stay here and keep getting beat up and sulk and whine. Or I just gotta, I gotta get out of the water. Like it's one of those three options. And then enough time doing different things, getting past that break in those different areas, you just start getting to the point where it's like, well, there's no other choice that I have. I, just, I also have the gift of being 48 and knowing that I just naturally gravitate towards wild, overcomer types hmm. just like find each other somehow yeah yeah so here we are <laughs> <laughs> here we are here so, we are but that's a, you know that's it, all things have their pros and cons yeah you know that's a good a good asset class if you want to be doing what we're doing yeah if you want to you know if you want to do uh, smaller out there, disciple making, yeah. going into places where no one knows God, no yeah. one wants to. That that propensity towards being wild and 
being overcoming is, yeah. is a is an asset. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you it's a necessity. You, you want you also want to be around the the other people that are wired that way. Yeah. No, you do for sure. Yeah. Um, so we have some similar backgrounds. We mm-hmm. both we both worked um, we both worked at larger churches. Mm-hmm. Let's talk for a minute uh, about the pros and cons of that. Okay. I'll, go, I'll go first. Uh, what I loved about a bigger church, um, it was easy for me to invite people to. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a secure time for myself and my family yeah. as far as somewhere where I was able to work. Uh, and I didn't have to have the level of responsibility that I feel now. Um, and uh, I was able to learn a lot from people that I respect. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Part of me misses it. Um, cons, I, as I was learning more about water policy, and as I, both my large church experiences, I found myself gravitating towards uh, the people that worked on the mission side mm-hmm. in both settings. And I started to connect, wait a second, places in the world that need water yeah. are the same places in the world that uh, don't have churches. Yeah. So obviously God was doing something in my heart. Yeah. That thesis that I started to develop about water solutions and no churches. Yeah. I started to figure out that the that the context that I was in would not translate into the nooks Correct. and cr- into the nooks and crannies of the world, and so that became a con for me, in the sense that this is great, yeah, this is wonderful. Uh, I can invite people; it's a safe place for me, for my family. We're getting our sea legs, yeah. so to speak. Um, <laughs> but then the 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 conflict for me became. I knew where I thought this thesis, smaller, more flexible, yeah. solving a water problem. Uh, I couldn't do both. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's a little, a little bit of back, a little bit of my uh, my background. Yeah. Um, I also learned a lot about how to treat people. You know, you work ministry, what you. If, if we're out there teaching people about Jesus, uh, a first grader would understand, mm-hmm. love thy neighbor. For sure. Easy. So at the top of the list of things we teach people is how is how we treat others. Mm-hmm. So I got an education, as they say, yeah. no. <laughs> about how to, how to treat people uh, in different situations. There were things I definitely liked. Yeah. There were things I definitely did not like. For sure, I was just taking notes. Yeah, and just observing. <laughs> yeah, I was just observing. Yeah. That was my. I wasn't on a mission to, ironically, to teach anyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just learning. Learning. So that's a little. So you you have some similar. Mm-hmm. Say a little bit about. It. Well, for me, it was my like I didn't grow up in the church. I don't think you I didn't either. So that. well. Yeah. So, well, for me, my whole idea of what progress was, was like, get rich, be happy. That was it. So I got into insurance 
at like 19 and I was like, this is, this is the deal. Insurance is residual income. If I sell you a policy, you keep it. Every month you keep it. I keep getting paid. Every year you keep it. I keep, this is perfect. You do enough of that for a while. You got money just coming in and you buy happiness. Like, <laughs> yep. People say money can't buy happiness. And I had a mentor that used to tell me, yeah, but it's more fun to cry in a Ferrari than on a bicycle. And I was like, well, that's a pretty solid argument. And I hadn't heard better arguments. So I was like, that's what I'm going to do. Um, but they, what I learned from that experience was like they, the bigger problems you solve, the bigger checks you cash, the bigger gaps you fill in the market, the more people are willing to pay you. So always look for gaps. So similar to you, like I went to Hillsong College is where I met my wife mm-hmm. and in Australia. And I took a year. This I had I'd been a Christian for like four or five years. Started making money finally. Started traveling around and speaking, but I felt like I wasn't telling people the whole story. Like I'm telling you how to make money, but I'm not giving you the rest of what's actually happened in my life and made the biggest difference and why I care much less about the money than I used to. And after I came back from Hillsong, I got that experience of being immersed there for a year, and I came back and um, worked uh, with New Life in Maryland and they they were unique because they had this like a larger church but they also just had many different variations of church plants like they had church plants on their campus they're doing house church stuff they have so I they have campuses so I planted a campus with them and with that experience it was the same thing I'm looking for I'm understanding this is how God created me and I'm looking for gaps because not like if we're a body, not every church can fill every gap. It's impossible. You can't do it all. It takes all makes and models. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where that's actually historically where I think people have gone wrong with the house church, big church situation. Because without the larger churches, the the things that you can support, there are people we say it all the time. Like, oh, those people never walk into a church building. Yeah, but there's other people that would never walk into your living room. You know what I mean? 100%. Like they're never going to show up in your living room. 100%. The bigger churches, they, they bring vision. They bring resources. They bring all these different things. They bring, like you said, a place to invite. They, they bring teaching. They bring events. They like, I'm new in this area. We haven't been here. We got to go to a church right down the street because they brought 70 tons of snow in. And, got, and Olivia had a, a blast. We had a great time. I don't miss putting on events like that. <laughs> um, yeah, so that for me, I was looking for those different gaps while I was there just because naturally it was like that was what my brain was trained yeah, and my, to and do. My, uh, my sister and my brother-in-law, my parents, some people in my family yeah. still go to um, uh, Saddleback Church that I used to work at. And it's wonderful. Yeah. It's been a massive blessing to their family. What's interesting to me is um, in some circles, it's it's common to uh, to have either or thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 exactly. One one approach or one group of people is like the more noble, enlightened group. Yeah. Right? We do house church and yeah. we don't take salaries, so we're better than you. Yeah. Our ways. Yes. Our ways the way, well, actually, Jesus is the way. It turns out there's all this other stuff that's up for grabs. Exactly. Yeah, like just about life. At yeah. the same time, 
the same time, there's a there's a segment um, of people who are built mm -hmm. to go into the nooks and crannies, you know, to, to take on that need large large faith, which isn't to say other people doing absolutely uh, an approach different isn't large faith. Mm -hmm. But when you're thinking of some of these nooks and crannies, different parts of the world, um, you know, you and you feel a tug towards that. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, as you read, uh, you know, church history, you know, you'll see, wow, this is how the gospel spread across the United States. Yeah. This is, you can look at other countries, take the United States out of it. You start to look at yeah. how, you know, Jesus got out of the world. Uh, it was mostly small ball, mm -hmm. you know, passionate small ball, you know, mm -hmm. guys just trying to teach one dude over here and going over here yeah. and, and it was messy. And, <clears throat> and so that can be very encouraging, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, so we, we both had opportunities in our life to, to um, have those experiences, mm -hmm. to, to learn a lot from them. And yet here we are, we're friends. And our paths have crossed. And when did we meet? We, I don't know, you, like virtually ago. about two years ago. Yep. You were always on your bicycle on the Zoom call. I remember that. Yep. Your first, your first thing every Zoom call was like, sorry, I'm on my bike. Can you hear me? That's how you started every yeah. Zoom call. When I was... When I first started Ocean Water, yeah, um, we're in my garage talking. Um, I was uh, super stressed out. Mm. Don't know what I'm doing. I'm pacing back and forth hours a day. Yeah, talking to God. Yeah, get out of my bike to pray. And yeah, clear my head and <clears throat> just basically trying to be healthy mm -hmm. for myself and. Uh, you know, try to keep this call going. <laughs> Not no fun intended. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so I, I did. Uh, I do ride my bike and, and surf. But that is how we met. And I met you. Uh, I met. Um, I met Dwight. Yeah. I met David Drury. Uh -huh. I met Phil Tay. Yeah. I hope I'm saying his name right. Uh, and some other guys. Yeah. Uh, and we were on that call for about a year. Yep. And that was great for me because I was coming out of my, um, you know, larger experience. And I really, I didn't, A, I didn't want to be doing this by myself. Yep. Uh, uh, B, I didn't really want to be terribly responsible. <laughs> so I was just like super stoked. More people, great. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was a really cool. So yeah, we, we met there for like mm -hmm. a yeah, we friends. yeah we did that for like mm -hmm. a year, and then we had talked some, and um, you told me you're like, well, because I I had told you at the time, I think toward the end of that call, I felt like God had told us to sell the house, go debt free, buy a fifth wheel, renovate it. Well, he didn't. I didn't hear all that. I heard buy a fifth wheel. We found one that if we wanted to go debt free, we had to find one and renovate it. Um, and that's and we did, and um, that was. Like I would talk to you about that periodically and your response was always like, don't bring that thing to California. 
that was every when we talked it was always that well if you fast forward we we renovated the the rv right halfway through renovation you know the story i'm halfway through renovation we sold everything and i get a, a text message a call find out that my my brother was shot and killed his wife was shot and killed my nephew was shot for like this it was just this crazy chaotic time in life and then we finished the renovations and then coming into the next year like now we don't know what to what we're doing with it we had this idea like we had a plan but we kind of it's like god said go do this and then we made up a pretty piss poor plan just so that i felt like justified in what i was doing like i needed to have something um but once we were finished i'm like that's not what i'm supposed to be doing with this right now interesting how there's like a call and then getting from point a to point B yeah. is like a giant squiggly line yeah yeah the jacked up line broken in certain spots and then <laughs> i go on a 40-day fast not like no food 40-day fast just cutting out certain things for 40 days and as we're going through this fast, I'm 20 days in and you called me and said, what are you doing with that RV? Mm-hmm. And like stuff was just getting kind of crazy with that fast. If you fasted for a long period of time and you're just, you're praying and focused, it's just amazing. Like the sensitivity to God is incredible. Well, the fact that I would call someone on a fast when I, when I never fast. <laughs> That's perfect. That's funny. Day 20. If you want to learn about fasting. Curtis is, has a lot more experience. I, yeah. But it was, it was literally day, it was but, day but 20. I, but I will say, you know, again, back, you know, pros and cons. Yeah. So, you know, I go through this period in my life. It's pretty, pretty clear to me that I need to go do this. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> cons are totally stressed out, terrified. Whole new I, thing. I use the word terrified. Actually. Yeah. And um, one of the pros is uh, praying a lot. And so you don't have any so, other choice. You know, yeah. And uh, through that experience, um, I would say I've gotten better about um, sensing certain things. Yeah. In yeah, you just you popped in my head, in a, in a, and I was like, oh man, I wonder if you would want to come out. And spend some time here as preparation for what was in your heart, mm-hmm. which is the Oasis Project. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, talk a little about that. Talk a little bit about that call that you feel mm-hmm. how it relates to, you know, honoring your family. Yep. You know, Matilda and, you know, Mission, mm-hmm. Sweden, and all of that. Well, I, so for me, it was always like since. It was strange to me when I was making no money in marketing and insurance. I had certain people that were making a lot of money. They were like where I wanted to be financially. They were traveling. They were speaking. They had the life. But they, when after I got saved, they, those people were coming to me for spiritual counsel. And I always thought that was interesting. I thought it was crazy then. But I, what I realized now is God had kept me in that world for a reason with with some sense of influence with this group of people for a reason. Um, And I didn't know why at the time. Um, But when Matilda and I met, uh, I was not planning on working at a church ever or planting a church ever. 
I was planning on making a bunch of money and giving it to the church and doing cool stuff. That was my plan. Well, we came here for the first season of our marriage. She's from Sweden. And we knew, it was like, eventually, the plan is we build something here. We get some things established. She gets her citizenship. And then I'll go get my citizenship in Sweden. But also, like, when you go there, there's these beautiful stone churches everywhere, like, in just about every town. And they're unoccupied. Like, they're just, that land's just being, like, sold off by the government now. And then I started, I preached when I was there. So I started studying their church history. And it was rich. And it was amazing. But as soon as it got mandated, it just sucked the life out of it. Um, When it became, like, just the state's thing. It just sucked the life out of it. So we've always had this dream of doing church in Sweden and occupying those buildings and purchasing that land back. Um, But then, you know, through planting the church and doing the things that we did in Maryland, um, during that fast that when you called me, I was taking a step back. We were about to do five weeks in Sweden at the end of that fast. And I was going to do five weeks in Sweden and take a full step back and just look at what would we do if, if I just had scripture, my family, the people that I know, like what's in my hand, what would I do? And that was my goal was to finish this fast, go to Sweden, pray about that, plan that, and then come back and try to do it. So while we were there, I start looking at the different business contacts that we have, people that want to serve, people that want to give money to the church, people that, and then I found out how you partnered with Sir Coffee and using their space and you guys work together like that. And um, I, so I started kind of building out this plan for what it looks like for the start. Uh, I met Ralph Moore and he, he did this study on um, uh, uh, the business people in the church with Paul, Priscilla and Aquila. Um, and I started studying what that looked like. Like what did that church actually look like where the business was partnered with, they provided opportunity for people like Paul yeah. to, to build tents not just to give him money, but also to build tents so that he could make money. Yeah. They provided income. They provided, like, why isn't the bit we've done this weird thing, I think now, maybe unintentionally, but it's like, if you're a pastor, you're here in ministry. And if you're a business owner, we want your money, but like you're, yeah. you're second string. And that's not what we say. And that's not what, yeah, but, but for what, a business owner, it's, yeah, it's, what, it, it's what gets communicated. It becomes a part of the culture. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'll just chime in, you know, me, uh, I met Ralph at a good time because mm-hmm. uh, it was as I was transitioning to what I'm doing now. Yeah. And meeting him really gave me, he helped give me a framework for mm-hmm. what I was feeling. And what I was feeling was, I remember um, it was uh, I'm 2018. Yeah. We had just had our largest Easter um, attendance at Saddleback, it was 90 plus thousand people in, in 80, 80 services or something like Typical Rick Warren, like stuff Nuts. that's never been done type, yeah. of, type of stuff. And, uh, and I remember I would sit in the, in the meetings for our campus and it was, it was uh, $1.2 million uh, was the model to basically launch like a successful campus for three or four hundred people. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, that's awesome. Like we've, we've figured out like what this costs, like what, 
how to do it right, how to be successful at it, mm -hmm. how to standardize it, how to put the systems in place. That's wonderful. And then I had a question that haunted me. Mm -hmm. And the question was, what if you don't have $1.2 million? <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you hate questions that pop in your own brain. Mm -hmm. You're like, why did that disruptive thought get out. have to get <laughs> into my consciousness? And uh, so much so that I started to uh, rethink, you know, by the way, if you have that amount of capital and you have like the team and the people, I think that's amazing. Like there, there is literally a mi 1.2 million worse ways to spend <laughs> $1.2 million. I think Absolutely. Yep. On that. Yeah. Uh, so it was wonderful. But I started to wrestle with that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it turns out that, um, you know, I can look back now. God's really used my friendship with uh, Mark Bell and Adam Watts, who own Sir Coffee, mm -hmm. uh, where I try to go every day. And, you know, Mark has um, a bit of a ministry background. Um, and then Adam is my favorite type of Jesus person. Mm -hmm. He's uh, sincere. Um, he's got like probably two or three like world-class talents. Yeah. He strangles people for fun. Yeah, he's, he's humble. Yeah. So he's this really wonderful mix, mm -hmm. like the type of human being you want to just be around. He's yeah. just a very fun, sincere, capable gifted guy so i've been friends with mark for 20 years and i've been very good friends with adam's one of my best friends for, for about five years now yeah. so through those relationships we ended up being able mm -hmm. to have our church the coffee shop which <clears throat> has been interesting because this this idea of having just a few people to 40 people uh in a in a um in a cultural context mm -hmm. that just makes sense to people, yeah. whether you're in San Clemente or Sweden, having yeah. coffee in a great place with people is understandable and a great place to connect. Yeah. And so um, that's been really fun. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, of course, now we're talking about praying about maybe what that might look like because you move over there. Yeah. You know, do you, Talk a, little, talk a little bit about like what's on your heart for for Sweden, kind of mm -hmm. like why we feel that synergy you and I as friends. Yeah. You know, talk a little about. Well, that. for Sweden, I like I one a challenge is a good thing, and ministry anywhere in the world right now is yeah. for sure a challenge. Um, when I was in Sweden, there's this like here in the states, we're like. It, in my opinion, we're like 50 years behind mm -hmm. them into where we're going. Like they hit kind of a progressive church is a joke or I'm like, I'm in yeah. thing a while ago. Um, they are now at a place of like indifference. Mm -hmm. Like it's not even a, it's not even a thought. It's not even, it's just like, nah, that's not even an option to where if like things are going bad, it's not necessarily like, ah, maybe I should go back to church. It's like, they're past that now. Um, and, but their life is built around a table. They care about 
um, they care about mission and serving people. They don't want to start it, but they'll, they like other people to do it. Well, they, they'll support it, or at least they'll, you know, hold up a sign saying good yeah. job in a courtyard. They'll at least do it's that. The worst form of support. It's a the worst form of support. <laughs> um, but the, and I, I actually found out in certain places, like in Switzerland, for example, most of the mission is actually started from the government. Like you don't go start your own thing. If you want to do something, you just go, which sucks the life and ingenuity out of somebody to go start their own thing and find gaps and fill it. So anyway, but there was a scripture that came to mind as, as I was in Sweden, when we were praying through what this next step in ministry could be for my family and I, and the scripture that came up was in uh, Jeremiah 29, which Matilda and I read this morning, actually. And it was Jeremiah writing to the exiles uh, in Babylon. And he said, uh, work for, like he was telling them, like, look, don't just go exist while you're there and don't sit there and whine. Don't complain. Don't just sit there and wait for the day that you're going to leave. Go there and like have kids start gardens. Like he said, work for the peace and the prosperity into the city in which I have called you into exile, placed you in exile. However he said it. And I was like, that's what, that's what I want to be able to do is help work for the peace and the prosperity, but not prosperity as I'm sitting on a stage telling people like, Hey, give me money and you'll be prosperous. But meaning like, no, add value to their economy, like add value, find gaps in their economy and add value to it and give those business owners access to work with high level leaders that have character that are attached to mission that are attached to church that are attached to, like let's let's put those two things together, and I saw you and Mark and and Adam doing that well, um, so that really got me interested in what was happening. Just ended up that way. Yeah, that was what was happening, and I didn't realize. It wasn't a plan to, to no. teach all this. No. This yeah. So now we're putting together this this network of people, and it looks like Matilda and I, within I don't know, probably the next year, will be living in. Sweden, if everything goes to our plan, which typically it doesn't, but maybe it will. And um, we'll be, I have a, a business here that I'll keep running to fund our, our life. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully that'll grow and we'll continue to be able to do that. But when we go there, like we're starting a house church and we're, we want to grow it. And right there, like if you can, in where my, the town where my wife's live, the town in which my wife is from, where my wife is from, their coffee sucks. It's not good. It can be way better. It's not as good as as Sir Coffee, but they also like a coffee shop there with people meeting, doing a Bible study in it that had solar panels on the roof, and they're like people would be all over it. So just that that different way of thinking, going and planting a church there right now, unless you're a name that people know, you're not going to be. You're not getting people to come to the church. You're not passing out flyers and like people, people go, they have a big Christmas event every year with my, my wife's old church there and people flood to it that aren't Christian. They love the Christmas event. They never come back, but the Christmas event's cool. And that's a good thing. But those people aren't coming back ever. And they're not interested. They just like taking their kids and their family to a cool event. That's well done. But if you can go into a place like that, add value to the economy, you gain their respect. And if there's mission, now you start poking at the heartstrings. 
Yep. Now we can have a, a productive conversation around Jesus because as I've talked to these people, you start to find out and people anywhere, but as I've gotten to know a lot of people there, it doesn't matter. People are just as lost and broken everywhere. Yep. No matter what things look like, no matter if they feel like they're comfortable or they're living in a, a hut or it doesn't matter. So, so, so yeah. We, so, so we, we both feel, you know, call to yeah. you know, make disciples to see, uh, you know, the, the church multiply, yep. to see um, disciples and churches raised up. One of my breakthrough kind of aha moments, you know, in my 40s was when I was when I connected. I was like, wow, there's actually a correlation between, you know, the cost of something and its ability to scale. Yeah. You know, and so like yeah. that back to the cost conversation. If you have millions of dollars, that's wonderful. Like let's spend it in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. But you know when you go to reproduce yourself you do it with the budget that you have. <laughs> and people usually try to reproduce the budget that they have. Mm -hmm. So one mm -hmm. of my aha moment was, wait a second. So it costs, you know, $1.2 million to do it this way. What if we could figure out a way to make disciples and plant churches just for the cost of food? <laughs> yeah. Well, it turns out that you can scale that way, yeah. you know, and, and that you actually can, anybody can make a disciple, really anyone can start a group of disciples in yeah. any place. We, we lean in towards, which this is something we work through, yeah. we lean into backyards and beaches mm -hmm. and coffee shops and jujitsu studios and breweries and homes. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, a good lane for us to run in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, those are all um, no cost. You know, um, we discovered that at Sir actually, they actually get a tax credit for letting us. No in. way. You're in there. They won't get that in Sweden. <laughs> um, so that's been fun to discover. Yeah. Um, because it does give you a lot of hope about, wow, you mean we can still make disciples and still plant churches. And it's about responsibility though. Yeah, it's it's about responsibility. I can when I was in when I was in insurance, I would go to an event. I'd drive an hour every week to go to this sales event. And I would bring potential clients or I would bring people that I wanted to recruit. And every week I would go, but no matter what, all I had to do was show up. Some weeks I'd bring people some weeks I'd go by myself. I made more money if I brought people. I recruited more, sold more if I brought people. But there was a shift that happened. After like a year, one of my friends looked at me and said, hey, why don't you put on one of these events near you? Rent out a hotel space um, and, and put on one of these events. Everything shifted. Everything. Because now that other event, all I had to do was drive. I didn't have to think about it until I was there. And then I just did it because everybody else did everything else. I sure I could show up. I helped with chairs or I could help with the table or I could greet people. It was the same situation. But as soon as I had the responsibility of doing it on my own, I had to fill that room up. If I didn't fill the room up, nobody else was going to. 
I'm just banging out phone calls. I'm the one on the, the phone with the hotel trying to figure stuff out. I'm the one now getting creative with businesses in the area. It turned something on in me that I didn't know was on, that I didn't know was there. Like it flipped, flipped the switch because now I had responsibility for it. That's what happens, I've found, when somebody gets responsibility for now the church that's in their home. Okay. And even just flipping the idea from small group to house church of, yeah, I'm doing this for them and I'm just kind of showing up, but you fill it with your small group like event that you do rather than this is something that God has called me to do. These are the people that I'm going to, I'm going to be better and I'm going to seek God more for these people. I'm going to become more so that these people have an example to follow so that I can love them better. Something different happens that when you're talking about scaling, it's like, that's what I want to see reproduced. Now, let's, let's park it right there for just a second because I have, as, as you do, two prior experiences. That, so, like, I have a reference point. Yeah. And the reason why with ocean water, what I teach now is really clarifying why we encourage churches to have a few to 40 people. Mm -hmm. Well, there's some reasons for it based on experience. Um, when you have a few to 40, the leadership is not intimidating. Mm -hmm. Pretty much anybody can do it. Yep. Um, and that's great because you always want what you're teaching to be something that people feel like they can do Yeah. versus what you're teaching is here and they're here and they're just like, I can never do I that. can't be that. Yeah. You know? So that's nice when that's your scoreboard. Yeah. A few to 40. Yeah. The other thing is I can pull from experience and something switches at about 40 where it goes from like real ownership mm -hmm. to consumerism in this weird, hmm. this weird way. It's just been an observation of mine. It's not something I've talked but it's something I've thought a lot about. And right about there is when people start saying um, it goes to more of like a service-oriented relationship. That's and so that's why, and that, that's just been an observation. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's not hard and fast in all cases, but just For a sure. general observation has been that. Yeah. And uh, so it's been more, it's been a lot more fun for me to encourage, let's just keep it there. Yeah. And then try to find the next person who, who has that spark. Yeah. And, and build them up and develop the same thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I love what I, one of the things that I learned when we planted the church, I had a guy who was the worship leader at the time that was amazing voice, good leader, played guitar, like knew some other instrument. It was just like top notch leader. Well, he, was going to one of our other campuses. Yeah. And I was like, man, that sucks. Yeah. But what happened was as soon as he left, these other people and one in particular stepped up and I'm like, I had no idea you could do that. Yep. And they're like, yeah, because well, you didn't need, people leave. you didn't need me to before. Yep. So what was the point of me doing it? And then that started translating that I would stand up on stage and talk. They didn't need, to learn how to share the gospel and share their testimony and go get their testimony yeah. because I was sharing it. So 
it was great because they could invite people, but I was also making an excuse for them why they didn't have to, why they didn't have to share the gospel, why they didn't have to grow deeper because they felt fantastic after they left. And that was it. And for me, that started like, that was heartbreaking for me and you can't fix it all. Right. I'm not, there's, there's no solution that's just going to solve all those problems. But for me, that ended up being a gap that I saw. And I like, that was one of the reasons I got excited about coming to California was when I flew out here for that event and you almost drowned me. I was like, that's, that's my style. Like, that's what, you know, maybe there could have been a little more instruction on the front end. Of course. But it's like, I would rather have that situation than you, we sat on the beach for four days and you just talked to me about surfing. Yeah. It's, that's a different situation. It's a different approach. And, and, and people are- learn and they don't know when people aren't forced to do things that are out of their comfort zone, they never know what they actually have. And if you don't know that you have what it takes when the moment comes, then you'll cower. Maybe you'll buck up and try to fight through it. But a big part of it a lot of times is never skill. It's literally just the, well, I've been here before. I've been in hard stuff. So I know I, I know all I have to do is keep pushing. Yes. And sometimes like you're, you're built this way. You know, sometimes when you're just wild yeah. and you want to try stuff. Yeah. At some point, you should just quit apologizing for that. Yeah. And quit. Like, if, if, if that's how you're built. Then do it. If you're just, if you're wild and unorthodox and you just want to go try stuff, that's not simple. No. So. And it's great because those people. Yeah. We don't need to do that. We don't need to do that. Just, no. But in that group of people is the group that you're looking for with something like this. When we talk about the gaps, like that's ultimately what you're looking for. I'm not, I'm not looking for everybody in this. Like, it's not like everybody has to convert and do things the way that you're doing it, the way that I'm doing it. That's not the point. The point is there's a bunch of psychopaths out there that are, would be willing to jump on a surfboard and get flipped over. And, but a lot of those people are sitting dormant that's the thing that makes me like, I want to go find those people and just give them permission to go screw stuff up and figure it out. And as they do that, amazing things happen. Because for me, go back to when you study church history, studying church history, it's like, those are a lot of, it's messy. And I would rather have structure around it all to where it's not messy, but people are always going to be messy, but I've gotten to the point where I'm okay with more mess than I've ever been okay with. And I'm, because well, the, the, the mess, and you know, you and I have, you know, big is messy, not big is messy. Yeah. Pick your headache. Pick, yeah, it was a great conversation. Like, pick, pick your headache. You know, it's the end of the day. You know, you want to get up and be enthusiastic. Yeah. In a in a reasonable manner. <laughs> Life is, you know, has its highs, has its yeah. lows. Not every day is perfect. That's part of the mm-hmm. experience. But for the most part, you want to get up. And you want to be stoked about what you feel like you're supposed to do, the difference that you're making, mm-hmm. the way that you're doing it that's a good fit for you so you don't feel like you have somebody else's armor on. Yep. All of these things, you know, that it's a blessing to your family, that your family's becoming more Christ-like. And you want to feel all of that. And it's really 
liberating mm. when you get a framework to understand that either either way is great. Yeah. Just just find um, find a lane and uh, find a way to do it. You yeah. know, there are <laughs> so many people out there that need to feel like God can use them, mm-hmm. you know, and are going to find hope in this. You just have to be willing. Yeah. I always teach people, start with one person that you want to try to teach about God. Yeah. And if it's you and that one other person, God's still. <laughs> it's, that, it's that simple. Yeah. You know? So it's it's been, it's fun when you think about how might God use, you know, some courageous people in California or this other place or anywhere anyone's listening to this, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, just God's just looking for some courage, you know, take a step and he goes with us. It's my favorite, my favorite verse. Um, Joshua 1, 9, you know, do not be uh, discouraged. Mm-hmm. Do not be dismayed for the Lord, your God will be with you everywhere you go. <laughs> And so it's a cool thing when that starts to starts to settle in. Yeah. Um, this has been fun. I mean, this is this is like we hung out the other day, me and you and um, and Brian and Chad for five hours. That was. But you know, you can vibe with someone when you when you can yeah. chat chat and hang out for five hours, and it feels like an hour. Yeah. You know, I look yeah. forward to doing you know more of this stuff in the in the future, like more conversations with you. And, um, we need to. I'm ex- yeah, I'm excited. Um, it's been fun for me too, because, you know, I spent a lot of my life, like my heart's always been for, for youth ministry. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what I love. I'm 48, you're 32. We get along great. We're good friends. Mm-hmm. Our challenge now is getting how we feel down to someone coming out of high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we don't have to have these conversations in 10 years. <laughs> like that would feel like progress. Yeah, absolutely. Like progress to me if when I get together with you and Dwight and, all these, and a bunch of these other guys, and this just becomes normal for somebody coming out of high school yeah. and in college to like want to teach people about God and solve real problems like water, food, and housing. It's like, really really fun and it, it's like it's like invigorating to try to get there yeah um we've said a lot we can say a lot more but you have any like this is like a pretty good first swing at like a conversation <laughs> you want to leave everybody with today uh, no man this is yeah, just got lunch and some other yeah no i'm just i'm excited to see the more i've been out here seeing you with your family uh seeing you in the way that you value uh, friendship and transparency and integrity has been cool and it's been well worth the trip out here so yeah thanks man i'm just excited good to be your friend all right love you man love you all right thanks for joining us till next time